Well, if you turn in your Bibles to Genesis 18, this is going to be a part one of a two-part series. It's just one chapter, but it's divided into two. And so the title of our lesson is God's Visit to Abraham and Sarah. God's Visit to Abraham and Sarah. And you might think, wow, that sounds cool. I wish God would visit me. Well, this is a special time and a special place with a special message. But we're going to see how Abraham and Sarah, first of all, react to God showing up. And then react to the message that he shares. The first half of the chapter is verse 1 through 15. And it's about the promised son is coming soon. The promised son is coming soon. Abraham and Sarah have been waiting over two decades for the promised child. And the message is, he's almost here. He's almost here. The second half, you're very familiar with because it's the promise of judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, Lord willing, we will get to that on Sunday. But today we're just focusing on the first 15 chapters. Before we get to Genesis 18, I want you to, to go to Genesis 17 verse 20. So that we kind of remember the context and where things were left off. In verse 20, it says, well actually let's go to 18. All right, God had visited Abraham and told him that uh, Isaac is the chosen one. And he had lobbied on behalf for Ishmael. Remember Ishmael was born from Abraham and Hagar. But Abraham said to God in verse 18, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Just call his name Isaac. Do any of your Bibles have a little footnote that tells you what Isaac means? None of yours? Yes, manager at Chick-fil-A. Are you manager? Something like that. Yeah, what you got? He laughs. Isaac means he laughs. Well, that's kind of interesting. Why would he, he choose that name? Well, look at verse 19. He says, I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So you remember you have Abraham and you had Sarah. And they were uh, frustrated. Uh, they took matters into their own hands. This promised nation that was supposed to come forth from them had never come. So after a decade of time, Abraham takes Hagar, his maid, and he has sexual relations with her. And Ishmael is born. And God is very clear, though, that Ishmael is not to inherit this special covenantal relationship. We know that Ishmael's descendants are the Arabs, where you get the uh, Muslim faith down the road. Verse 20, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. So isn't God a God of symmetry? We know that there's the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, Ishmael also is going to have 12 princes where his descendants will come from. Verse 21, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac. And this helps you remember or realize why some of that tension is there in the Middle East. Why does everyone else hate the Jews? Well, they're here in their holy word saying that God chose Isaac and not Ishmael. Not Ishmael. 
Verse 21, my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. And when he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. So it's this special, um, what we would call a theophany. And this is Jesus, veiled in flesh, coming to speak to Abraham. And then poof, he's gone. Verse 23, Abraham took Ishmael and son and all the servants who were born in his house and all who uh, were bought with his money, every male among them of Abraham's household and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin on the very same day as God had said to him. Because remember in 17, Jesus is communicating the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And the very same day Abraham was circumcised, and Ishmael, his son, all the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. So Abraham believed God, and he exercised the sign of the covenant because he trusted the Lord. We get to chapter 18, and we'll see, first of all, in our outline, the unexpected guests appear. The unexpected guests appear. And if you think of your own house, and you're just chilling out at the crib, all right, and someone pops in, maybe you're a little bit nervous because you know you were supposed to clean or you were supposed to do something. When you get older like me, I, I, I think about, did I mow the yard and did I rake all of the leaves? Does it look nice? Abraham here is just at his residency, and God is going to show up. We see A, this would be our first subpoint, the presence of Yahweh. And when I say Yahweh, you spell it Y-H-W-H. Y-H-W-H. Remember in the Hebrew language, there are no, uh, there's no vowels written in. So it's Yahweh, and this is the special covenantal name of the Lord. Verse 1. Now the Lord, this is our word, Yahweh, appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent in the heat of of the day. Oh man, to live in olden times. Wouldn't that be so much fun with no air conditioning or fans or anything like that? It's hot. Israel gets hot. And so he's sitting there and he's resting and Yahweh himself is going to appear to him. Now, commentators disagree a little bit about like, did Abraham know that this was God? We know because we're reading. And the word Lord in English can be used of, uh, you know, so a high-ranking person or someone of respect. Well, the word Lord, though, is the Hebrew word Yahweh, which can only mean God. So we know that this is God. Well, how can God appear to a human? Wouldn't they just, like, disintegrate? We learn in John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. But this is God right? How did this happen? How did this work out? Well, John 1 also talks about how in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and how God, Jesus, became veiled in flesh. John 1, 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So man has not laid eyes on God the Father, but man has laid eyes on God the Son, 
who veils himself. And you remember the whole uh, transfiguration? How Peter, James, and John got to see a glimpse of Christ's deity unveiled. And he was like he was sparkling white. Well, Jesus here is going to veil himself because if he didn't, these people would die. But he clearly is coming. But does Abraham, Abraham know that this is God? Well, first of all, in verse 2, it says he ran from the tent door to meet them. And if you know anything about the olden days and the ancient customs, remember the story of the prodigal son? How the son took his inheritance and he said, Dad, I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. And he went and he squandered it all away. But when he repented and he came back, what did the father do when he saw the son? He ran to him. And that would actually be kind of a shameful thing. You know, the old peeps don't run. Well, it's the same thing here, but something Abraham knew. And so he ran to these guests. And then he did what? He bowed himself to the earth. There is something, some way, somehow, he knew. So we see, we saw A, the presence of Yahweh. Yahweh's here. Now we see B, Abraham's reaction. Abraham's reaction. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And don't read into the three men, because some say, oh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the Trinity. No, that's, that's a reach. All right? These are most likely angels that just have simply accompanied Jesus in what we call this theophany. And when Abram saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. You wouldn't do that for other random people showing up. And he said, my Lord. And you're like, well, that solves it. He just said, my Lord. And we said in verse 1, what is Lord? Yahweh. Well, no, this isn't, Yahweh. This isn't the word Yahweh. But it does mean master. So he is realizing and acknowledging that he's subservient to whoever this guest is. And if this was just some random dude on the street, he wouldn't be saying this. He says, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass by your servant. So even though God hasn't said, hey, it's me, God, how are you doing? Abraham knows. And he wants to please him. And he wants to spend time with him. Because we know what's he been waiting for. The last time he saw God, he disappeared. And he's thinking, is it time? Is that sun coming? I mean, he's in his 90s. He ain't getting any younger. His wife isn't getting any younger. They've been waiting a couple decades for this event. Verse 4. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. This is common hospitality that would be practiced during this time. But obviously, Abraham, this is very special to him. And he doesn't want to mess this up. And he wants to make sure that these guests are well taken care of. He says, I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourself. And we're like, oh, thanks. Piece of bread for dinner tonight. That's exactly what I wanted. All right, now, if it was like golden grams or cinnamon toast crunch, a little bit of milk, that's a little special. But bread, hmm, okay. But, you know, it's back then, right? This was good for them. It was special. It says, after that, you may go on since you have visited your, what? Servant. And they said, so do as you have said. 
verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent. Isn't this a funny picture? He's just sitting, resting, and it's hot. He sees them. He runs to them. He bows down. He begs them to stay. He's going to take care of them. And then he scuttles off. This old dude, just all skipping and happy to hurry up and get this going. He went to Sarah and he said, quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour. Isn't that great? He, he wasn't going to make the bread. All right, he needed he need an expert here. All right, Sarah, please make this, knead it, and make bread cakes. But he didn't stop there, okay? Abraham also ran to the herd, and he took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant, and the servant hurried and prepared it. Like, no, 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 bread, bread's not enough. Bread's not enough here. It needs to be extra special. And he took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared, and he placed it before them and was standing by them under the tree as they what? Ate. God's eating. We know that God is spirit, right? Here, God, veiled in flesh, Jesus, is eating. And this is a foreshadowing to when he is going to become fully God, fully man. All right? Very special foreshadowing in this. Well, that was the, the unexpected guest appear. Now we have the second part of our outline, the unexpected guest speak. And I'll spoil this for you. Okay, this passage is not very complicated. And we're going to walk through the rest of the events, but then we're going to spend some time really delving into the application. What does this mean to me? All right, I don't think you're going to be sitting at your doorway and Jesus is going to show up at your doorstep. I'm sorry. All right? You don't need to know how to slaughter the calf or knead the bread or whatever it is, but there's a lot that we're going to learn from this passage. So we had two sub-points with our first main point, right? The unexpected guest appeared, the presence of Yahweh, Abraham's reaction. Now we have the unexpected guest speaks, and A, we have the promise of Yahweh. We're excited that he just showed up in the first few verses. Now he's going to promise something. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. It's happening. Finally. Finally, it's happening. Ironclad, guaranteed promise. When God promises, he makes good on that promise promise and if you're Abraham and Sarah what you feeling right now yes not exactly we see Sarah's reaction that's B Sarah's reaction and Sarah was listening at the tent door which was behind him now Abraham and Sarah were old advanced in age Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself. Very important. What's Isaac's name? He laughs. Here, she's laughing at the promise that God has made. And she does it to herself. 
She wasn't going to laugh in the face of her guests. This is going to be in quiet. It was, it was going to be secret. She said, after I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? There, there's some bitterness to this. There's some doubt. But there's also some reality. He old, she old. Okay? They ain't making no babies unless something miraculous happens. And God's going to do the miraculous. God's going to do the sorry, miraculous. C. So A was the promise of Yahweh. B was Sarah's reaction. C is the rebuke. We love those, don't we? We get called out. Oh, smoke monster. Verse 13. And the Lord, Yahweh, said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Okay, and we're connecting the dots here. In verse 9, what did they ask Abraham? Where is she? Now she's off laughing to herself and they say, why is she laughing? Did they not know where she was? They knew where she was. She's not near them, yet they still hear her. Why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And then you, being the good Sunday school student you are, even though this is Wednesday night, is anything too difficult to the Lord? You're like, no! Well, hold on to that and apply it to your life, right? And I know you have the question, can God make a rock so big that God can't make a rock bigger than that? That's a dumb one. Okay, forget about that. There are things that God cannot do, like God cannot sin, right? God cannot do anything contrary to his perfect and holy will. That's not what we're getting at. We're getting at God has promised this, and now you're saying, God can't do that. Hmm. Essentially, you're calling God a, a liar. Calling God a liar. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. At this time next year. And Sarah will have a son. This is a very special event. Alright. Don't lose sight of that. You have Abraham. Who the promised one from Genesis 3.15. The savior of the world. Is going to come from his lineage. Is going to come from his seed. But he has no kids except for Ishmael. And this child Isaac. Is the next in line. Sarah owned up to it, and said, I'm so sorry, I should not have laughed. Is that what your Bible said? I think that's the New Age Bible. Sarah denied it. Oh, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. Seems kind of a logical thing, right? Look, they didn't really hear me. I'm not going to own up to this. I didn't, I, I, I didn't laugh. For she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Awkward. This dinner just got really, really awkward. How much different would have been if Sarah had said, you're right, I'm sorry. The rebuke would have stopped. But what did she do? She did what we call doubling down. 
she laughed, doubted God, essentially calling him a liar. And when he called her out on it, she said, oh, no. What? Like, like, I can't read your mind. Like, I can't read your thoughts. For she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Now, look at verse 16. It says, then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them. All right. We're not going to go into the rest of that chapter. So, but you know the context and what's happening here. What I want to do is I want to look at what we just learned. And I want us to flip to a couple of different places. And I want to consider our own lives in light of this knowledge. So I'm going to call this our in conclusion, or you can call it application, whatever, whatever floats your boat there. Number one, the Lord knows and sees all. The Lord knows and sees all. I want you to go to Mark 2. Very familiar story, Mark 2. And this is one of those things that we chalk up to head knowledge. Like, I don't think any one of you go, he does? Ha! I never thought of that before. That's amazing. But it's true. It's true. And it should change your life. Remember, this was the, the paralytic lowered down by the four men. Look at verse 5. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, son, your, sons are, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning where? In their hearts, Mark 2, 6. Jesus told them because of his faith, your sins are forgiven. And they're just thinking in their heart of hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately... Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your pallet and go home. He called them out. He called them out. It's easier to say, hey, your sins are forgiven because you don't visibly see those sins disappear. It's harder to say, pick up your pallet and go because if you don't pick up your pallet and go, ain't nobody believing in me. So he said, I'm going to forgive your sins. And so everybody knows I'm going to go ahead and heal you. But the thing I want you to take away is his opposition doubted him. His opposition questioned him. And he read their mind like a book. He read their mind like a book. There, there's an old country song called Mama Knows. Somehow, someway, Mama Knows. It's not true. But moms want you to think they know. Alright? God actually knows. He sees all and He knows all. Proverbs 15.3 The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch over the evil and the good. If you've never memorized that, write that down. Memorize that. Everywhere God's eyes are. He is everywhere. He knows everything. Does this surprise you? Does this concern 
you? Does it spur you on to change? Look, you can lie to me. You can trick me. You can trick your parents. You can trick your friends. You can't trick God. You know, like God knows every thought running through your mind. God knows everything you've ever done and everything that you'll ever do. God knows every single website that you've ever gone to, every app that you've ever downloaded, every interaction that you've ever had. Just all laid bare. And we sneak into the darkness. And we do dark, sinful things. And we think no one sees us. If we were out in the light in front of everybody, we would never do that stuff because we wouldn't be embarrassed. But you're doing it right in front of God. Right in front of God. And God is not a God to be trifled with. He is not a God to be mocked. So every thought you've had this day, God knows it. He knows it. Number one, the Lord knows and sees all. Number two, live in light of this reality. Live in light of this reality. And when I say live in light, it, to live with the understanding of, right? So like if it's cold outside, how do you live in light of it being cold? Well, you put on a jacket. Kids today, they don't wear jackets, all right? But sometimes live in light that it's hot and you wear a hoodie and it's 120 and I don't understand it. It's, it's really weird and confusing, okay? Live in light. So if you knew that your dad was going to find out, <laughs> would you do it? No. You, you wouldn't do it's going to know. Well, God knows. God knows. He knows all and he sees all. The scary part is for the unbeliever. Okay, Christian, this is actually not scary for us. This is comforting. This is a blessing. It is convicting. It holds us accountable. We want this. But for the unbeliever, and when I say unbeliever, if you have never recognized your sin, turned from it and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's you. If you are living for yourself, if you're trying to please God by your good works, this is you. I want you to consider the fact that God is indeed your enemy. God is your enemy. If you are not with God, you are against God. God. I want you to go to Romans chapter 5. Your opposition, your enemy knows every single move before you even make it. I, I, I don't know which one it was. It was a boxing thing or was an MMA thing or something. All, all of those are, are dumb, by the way. All right. I don't, I don't get any of those. When people are like beating each other up and stuff, I'm like, all right. But there was some sort of a big fight and one guy beat the other guy. That's how it normally works. And the guy who lost said, oh, there was a mole in my group. And you're like, a mole? Those are cute. No, that means like a rat. No, not a rat. Um, there was someone in his training circle that leaked details of his fighting plan. And he said, I lost because this guy gave up all my information. And I'm like, what information? Dodge punch? Land punch? Is it that complicated? Kick, grab, I don't know, bite. But for whatever reason, 
He said, I lost because someone revealed my game plan. Someone revealed my game plan. Remember the, 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 the Patriots, the beloved fan franchise that you all love. We, we have an NFC team, which is the Cowboys. But since, since they don't win very often, we have to adopt an AFC team, okay, and the Patriots. And what were they accused of wrongly of all those years, even though they did it? They, they, the football thing, they, they also filmed practices. They filmed practices, and then they went and they watched the film. And so when they played the game, they already knew what your game plan was. They called it, what, Spygate or something like that? All right, anything for the Broncos to lose. We're okay with that. But they knew the game plan. Okay, so unbeliever, you are opposed to your creator. You are walking in your sin, and he knows you. He knows your every move and your every counter move. Look at Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless, that's you, unbeliever. That was me before I came to know Christ. Nothing good do I have to offer. I have no defense. I have no counterattack to the holiness of God. Christ still died for me. Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, even though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So unbeliever, you are an enemy of God. And he knows your plan of attack. And he has you in his crosshairs. And then he sends his son to die for you. And he pleads with you to come to the cross. An unbeliever, you are so wicked. You are so ignorant. You are so hard-hearted that you say, no. I want to live my way. I don't want to do my thing. I'm going to please myself and I'm going to do this. And no. Look, you've lost. You've already lost. And God knows you've lost. So he says, hey, look, do you want to switch teams? I sent my son and I punished him on the cross for you. And if you will believe in him as Lord and Savior, you'll no longer be my enemy. You'll be on my team. Your enemy knows all. Your judge knows all. Your judge knows all. I, I'm fascinated by the legal system, how it all works. Most of it I've learned are from TV shows or from movies, so I'm quite knowledgeable. Even though I, I dabbled as a lawyer in teen court. They still have teen court these days? Yeah. It was the shortest tenured lawyer in teen court history. I lasted one trial. And I may or may not have asked my opposing attorney if she would like a cookie. All right? It was, it was an interesting story for another day. What you're trying to do, one lawyer, all right, the prosecutor is trying to reveal evidence that will condemn the one that is accused. And the defender is trying to exonerate their client. I mean, think of the jury if they already knew Everything that happened, what a waste of time that would be. 
Because in our system, the judge doesn't declare innocent or guilty. It's the jury that does it, right? I mean, think if they already knew. You're like, what are we wasting our time for? This could go so much faster. Well, God is your judge, and he already knows. He already knows your heart. He already knows that you are guilty. He already knows. I want you to go to Mark 10. Mark 10, familiar story. We call this the, the story of the rich young ruler because he was young and he was rich and he had authority. Mark 10, 17. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Which Jesus wasn't denying his deity. He was making a point here. Yes, yes, I am good. Yes, you should be asking me this question. But I want all of you all to realize that I am God. It says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And he said to him, uh, without even hesitating, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth up. I mean, there's a little, there's a little checklist here. Uh-huh, 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 yep, uh-huh, yeah, I got that one too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's me. Jesus is his judge. And he's like, okay, yeah, I've done all of it. So Jesus, looking at him, felt the love for him. Now, look, guys, isn't that, isn't that amazing? This little snot-nosed brat comes up to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings and says, what must I do? And he tells him, and he goes, yeah, I've done that. And he loves him. How often do you love the unbeliever? Loves him. He says, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And you're like, whoa, is this a workspace salvation? No, Jesus is proving that you're, you haven't done any of that stuff. You're not good enough, or you would just simply follow this command. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. He tried to trick the judge. It doesn't work. So unbeliever, what I'm telling you is God knows all, God sees all, and God will pour out his wrath upon you. So you need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be forgiven. You'll be promised and guaranteed a place in his eternal kingdom. For the believer, when we talk about living in light of the reality, okay, there are things that we hide from others, don't we? Because we're ashamed of them. Maybe it's a show we're not supposed to watch and we don't want other people to know. Maybe it's a website. Maybe it's a practice that we do in secret. Maybe it's an attitude that we have. Maybe it's a hatred that we have for someone. Maybe it's a jealousy that we have for someone else. You can't hide those from God. I don't know how the, the chat of Snap works, all right? Which I was talking to one of Tucker's teammates today about texting him something. He said, just chat it to me. And I go, what? What are you talking? There's nothing easier than a text, kid. But... 
whether it's like the Mark Cuban Dust app that he came up with, my understanding is there's some of those apps that what you send is very private and it can't be repeated or it disappears or something like that. You think of your browsing history and you think if you just go in and you delete that thing or you go into private mode. I mean, imagine if your mom or dad said, hey, give me your phone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why, why do you want my phone? Imagine if they started scrolling through that phone and seeing the text messages that you have with your Christian friends and the places you go and the things you talk about and what you... Mm. Christian, God knows. He knows. And that should comfort us because he still loves us, doesn't he? Even though we struggle with sin. But we should be considering what I'm looking at, the Holy Spirit indwelling me. God's right here with me. God's right here with me. I think I've, I've shared with you before, you know, part of my sanctification process when I was, when I was in high school is I, I kept growing in the Lord. And, and, you know, what I watched and what I listened to, Philippians 4.8 was fundamental, and that's why I still make you do that in Bible quizzing. And there were songs that I would listen to, and then I would get in the car, and mom's driving, and I would put the song on, and it, and it, would, it would start going, and I'm like, change. Because oh, that's not a good song. But sometimes it took my mom sitting next to me to go, wow, I never even thought of that. Well, guys, God's always there. He's always with you. You can't tune out the Holy Spirit. You can't cover God's eyes. You can't do that. This is comforting for us, though. Because he's always with us. He always cares for us. I, I want you to go to Romans 8. Let's go to Romans 8. And in Romans 8, we are going to see how God the Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son all know everything. And how they use that for our good and for our benefit. And I also wanted to go to Romans because you've been reading that in your reading plan. You've been learning and growing. So you read this not long ago. But look at Romans 8.26, and we're going to look at God the Spirit. It says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. Awesome. I like that. That's good for me. Well, what weakness? For we do not know how to pray as we should. Amen? Anyone there? I don't know what to pray, or I don't know how to pray. But he knows that. He knows me so well. He knows that my prayer life is not complete. So what does he do? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit searches the hearts and he knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Is that not glorious? Now, I'm not saying that you should just go and pray and babble and the Spirit's going to work all that out. You know, sometimes you don't know. There's someone that's hurting. There's someone that you love. There's a situation that you're in. And you're, sometimes the words don't come out or you don't know how to formulate all of those. The Holy Spirit says, I got your back. He searches your mind and your heart. And he completes your prayer to God the Father. Because he knows all. He sees all. But what about God the Father? 
verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. To those who are called according to his purpose. He knows all. He sees all. And he's working all things out for our good. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And you're like, well, okay. Uh, Kids at school that don't love Jesus is against me. Satan is against me. Yeah, I can think of some people. But they're inconsequential to the power and the wonder of God. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Guys, God saw that we had a need, and he went so far to meet it, that it resulted in his son being mocked, beaten, spit, and crucified. He still loves us with that same intensity. He still works out all of the events in our life for his glory because he loves us. What about God the Son? Look at verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also what? intercedes for us he steps in god the father i've paid i've paid for his sins my righteousness covers him who will separate us from the love of christ will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword pretty good list right there Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. Number three. Number one is the Lord knows and sees all. Number two was live in light of this reality. Number three, do not doubt the promises of God. Do not doubt the promises of God. Don't be Sarah in that moment. We know that Sarah is going to take this rebuke to heart. We know she's going to repent. We know that she is going to cling to Yahweh and she's going to be an example of a faithful woman. We know that Isaac will be given to her and to Abraham. But what are some things that God has promised you? What has he promised you? Should be a little helpful on the interaction side. Help me. What has he promised to you, Christian? Liam? Eternal life. I mean, eternal life. 
Does that change how I think and what I do and how I feel? Man, you know what? I might have a crummy day, but I have eternal life. Changes your perspective, right? What else does he promise to you? Yeah. The Holy Spirit will comfort us and will intercede and he will speak on our behalf. Rely on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gifts us to be bold and brave and not timid in this world. What else has he promised to us? Kendall? Yeah, a relationship. Isn't that sweet? Sometimes you can feel lonely. You can feel like others don't get you. You can feel like others don't want to spend time with you. Your friends, unfortunately, can fail you. The world can be a cold, cruel place to live, but God always loves you. He always cares for you. What else? What else has he promised you? Place in his kingdom. Whew. Don't take that for light. Don't take that lightly. I want you to think for a moment, connecting all the dots as we wrap this up. What is the first commandment with a promise? You don't want to say it, do you? Honor and obey your mother and your father. This is the first commandment with a promise that you may live long on the earth. And so that's, that's what we're doing here, right? That's what we're doing. I'm honoring and obeying mom and dad because I've been commanded to do this. And God has promised me, generally, I will live a long life because of this. So what am I going to do now? I'm going to honor and obey mom and dad. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? We cannot fear man. We cannot fear Satan and his work. We don't need to worry. We don't need to be anxious or, or to cower. Did you not hear that? He will never desert you. He will never leave you. Because he is my helper, I will not be afraid. His promise is true. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful. You're like, wait, what? Why does Paul connect the faithfulness of God to temptation? Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you'll be able to endure it. So there's never a point, Christian, where you're like, oh, it was just too much of a temptation. I had to give in. I had to say those words. I had to act in anger. I had to lust. I just couldn't help myself. God is faithful. And if you rely on him and his promises... He can help you overcome sin. We look at Sarah. And when God promised something, Sarah laughed. And we go, tsk, 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 Sarah. And then when God called her out on it, she lied and tried to cover it up. And we go, tsk, tsk, tsk. What about you? What about you? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this beautiful passage of Scripture. 
pray that we would learn from Abraham, that we would learn from Sarah, and we would do things your way. Knowing that whatever you have promised, you will make good on it. Because you are good and gracious and loving and kind. May we trust you always, Father, and rely on your goodness and your Holy Spirit who lives in us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.